This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by you. We don't do any advertisements, so if you'd like to support the show, just visit theminimalists.com slash support. Enjoy the show. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. We're back, baby. We are back. Welcome to episode 27. We're going to talk about passion today. And Ryan, we should probably start off. You you and I were having this conversation off air. Uh, Are we on air right now? How does that work? I think we're on. We're on record. Recorded air. Anyway, what's your question? There's air all around us. (laughs) Wow, man, that's so deep. I'm so passionate about air. (laughs) Aren't we all? (laughs) You know what, man? I I was um, I've been off coffee for the last week, and I'm finally back on right now. So I am (laughs) feeling really good. Nice. You're looking really good. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what. So, so Ryan and I were on this crazy tour. Uh, We brought our documentary, which is called Minimalism: A Documentary About the Important Things, all over the United States and Canada. And uh, along with uh, over hundreds of screenings, we we went to 13 of them ourselves and and got up and and talked in front of audiences. We did live versions of our podcast. Some of those are still forthcoming. But, um, you know, I really drained my my adrenals. I was having adrenal fatigue after the tour. On tour, how many cups of coffee do you think you have a day? You know, I, I have far fewer now than I did back in the corporate world. Back in the corporate world, you remember this, I used to have about a dozen cups a day, but they were the... They weren't. It wasn't cups. They were the big cups. They were the 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 Vinties, the twenty ounce cups. And 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 well, first off, it was often Starbucks. That was my first problem. <laughs> and and you know, I I I had a ton of coffee. I'm really passionate about coffee. I mean, you and I opened a coffee shop with, with some friends down in St. Petersburg. I think in the corporate world, you were more passionate about caffeine. I, I, well, <laughs> I, I was. I, I wouldn't say I was so much passionate as I was addicted. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not passionate about heroin. I mean, I'm not addicted to heroin. I'm passionate about heroin. <laughs> yeah. So anytime you're passionate passionate about something and it's and it's detrimental to yourself or others, then that could be problematic. Although I think passion is really one half love, one half obsession, but it has to be healthy obsession. You mm. can't end up like Howard Hughes peeing in mayonnaise jars in your room because you're so obsessed about about something. And so I, I found that with coffee, yeah, it went way past it went way, way, way past uh, um, passion and, 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 and excitement for that thing. It, it was, I need this to survive. So I, w- I remember when I was 28 years old, I, I gave up coffee. I was giving it up for 10 days because you can do anything for 10 days. And uh, by day three, I had to go home from work and I was in the fetal position at home and and I just I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with going from a hundred to down to zero cups a day. I, I had a legitimate caffeine addiction. But since then my caffeine in- intake has improved significantly. I have one to three cups a day now and never go past that that three mark. And so when we're on tour, it's generally three cups every single day. But it's it's that on top of us doing these these crazy shows in front of sold out crowds and we have a lot of people we're, we're interacting with and answering questions and we give out thousands of hugs when we're on tour. 
and it's amazing in the moment that you've got that adrenaline, but that, that adrenaline, when it's overused, leads to adrenal fatigue. So mm. uh, flash forward to the end of the tour, when we, we got back here to Missoula, Montana, I said, you know, I, I got this advice from several people on the road, in fact. Uh, Justin, the, the, the posture guy, uh, he was at our L.A. event. Oh, yes, yes. I think he's at theposturguy.com. He, he's helped me with some back exercises. And, and uh, he did a podcast about letting go of coffee for a week. And, mm-hmm. and so he recommended it. I had someone else recommend it on the road. And then uh, Becca, my, my partner, who is uh, a nutritionist and, and a dietitian, she, she was like, you know, if you have dr- adrenal fatigue, which it looks like you do, uh, I would definitely just recommend no caffeine over the course of a week. And it was pretty difficult, although I stayed really hydrated. And, and so I didn't have those same caffeine headaches I would have. And now I came, I've come back to it, and I feel great that just having a little bit of caffeine and not relying on, I have to have two cups to get my day started. I, I'm actually able to look forward to it. first day back? Yesterday was. Yesterday? Yeah. How was that first cup of coffee? It was delicious. Where did you have it at Zootown? No, I I, uh, I made it at home. It was Dogwood oh, Coffee. Yes. By the way, that's where all the best coffee is uh, in Missoula. It's either in Josh's kitchen or mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best coffee shop in Missoula. Yes. There are some decent shops here, uh, Zootown yeah, in, in particular. Sure. But we we would joke while we're on the road. We're, we're on a coffee tour, and we just happen to go around and give talks as well. And and so that's something we're really passionate about. But today we're going to talk about passion and what does that mean. And, and Ryan and I were talking off air. I'm circling back to this now. Oh, yeah, I forgot about what we were talking. Yeah. We were talking off air about this this concept of passion, and it's just so overused, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean... Uh, and it, it puts so much pressure on people. It, well, it, it really does, because we, we, we hear this advice, you should follow your passion. We, we were at the... Uh, we should uh, just end it with that. <laughs> just end the podcast with that. Follow your passion. Cue the music, Sean. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think uh, I, it's propagated, this message. We, we see it in a lot of self-help books, especially some vapid self-help books, but even some well-intentioned, well-done self-help books. It sounds good. We, we've been told this thing, follow your passion. We, we were at, the, uh, at NPR in Missoula last time we were there, and they have this successories kind of poster there that, that even says, follow your passion. So they're they're a bunch it, of college graduates on it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so this is at, at the college here at the University it's of Montana. The only way to follow your passion is to go to school and pay for it, right? Spend your money, follow your passion. <laughs> uh, and, and so you know, I, I I hear this advice, and while I know it's well intentioned, I think it's crappy advice. Uh, and we we have an article at our website. If you go to theminimalists.com slash cal c a l, it's an interview we did with a guy named Cal Newport, who is a professor at uh, at Georgetown, and he's written several books, uh, most notably uh, Deep Work and and uh, a so book called. They- yeah, so good they can't ignore you. Yes, yeah, so good they can't ignore you. And and uh, we interviewed him there, and and the title of that is actually uh, "Follow Your Passion" is crappy advice, and. And the reason that it's crappy advice is it presupposes you were born with with a passion. <laughs> Can we say passion like that throughout the rest of the One, podcast? two, three. Passion. <laughs> you know what, man? I, I, it presupposes you were born to be a, a yoga instructor or an astronaut or a, a gardener or, or whatever you uh, were supposed to do with your life. You were born to do this thing. But the truth is there are dozens of things you can be passionate about. And so today, we're, as we're talking about passion, think about, about passion more in line of creativity or craft or, or, or sometimes even vocation. Or we'll even talk a little bit about mission today, I hope, as well. So when we're talking about passion you don't have to think about it in the nebulous sense. You can get more specific about it. And w- in fact, we get this question all the time, right, Ryan? 
what do you do? Mm. It's the first question that people ask you when you meet them. What do you do? And they're really looking for what's the title on your business card? It's a really broad question because, I mean, the truth is that you do plenty of things, Ryan. What do you do? Uh, I snowboard. That's fun. I do podcasts. But when, when you tell people you snowboard, they're like, wow. Do you, I mean, Dude, I had this the other day. I was at a dinner. And it was like a really, really nice dinner. It was uh, uh, an event for, like a charity event for the uh, symphony here, the local symphony that our friend Darko um, orchestrates. But uh, I'm sitting at the table, and that's like the first question that the, the guy next to me asked. And he didn't mean anything, you know, bad by the question, but it was just like, a, hey, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what I love to do? <laughs> I love to snowboard. I'm right. like, I'm really bummed that there's no snow in the mountains right now. And we had this like wonderful conversation about snowboarding and skiing for like the next 20, you know, 25 minutes. And then he like got up and um, he was actually the sommelier there. So like he had to get up and like, you know, do an introduction as he was getting up and walking to the stage and the event was getting ready to start. His girlfriend looks over at me and she's like, so what do you actually do though? Like for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and it is funny how like people are so, uh, they are so, uh, uh, yeah, interested in what you, how do you make money? Hey, how do you make money? And, and that's weird. And that's why we don't posit the question that way. If we really said, if we really sat down with someone and said, Hey, uh, where do you work? How much money do you earn? So I can compare you to me on the socioeconomic ladder. Or I, I can think back when we were in, in Toronto, uh, it was our last, uh, tour stop, uh, we did a Q&A at the end. We did a podcast. This woman came up and asked us, so what's your uh, net worth and how much do you make a year? Yeah, like it was that blunt. And, and, and what I told her is, you know, basically, A, that's the wrong question. But B, my net worth doesn't determine my actual worth. And I think that that's where we that's what we need to tweeze out and understand mm. that that yes, you can see what my you actually can see down to the penny what my retirement looks like if you go to the minimalists.com slash retirement. So it's not like I'm trying to hide that. We're we're pretty transparent about uh, about many of, of the things that we do, but it's not the primary focus of what we do in terms of I'm going to do this so I can make money. Really, what I'm attempting to do with everything we do at The Minimalist is how do we add value to other people's lives? And, and I know that that phrase has stuck with me over the years, and so much so that it has become a, a visceral sort of emotional response to things. Is this adding value to other people's lives? And does it add value to, to my life as well? And, because I can't keep giving without getting as well. So we, we, have, we have to have both there. But when she asked that question... It, that was the most honest way to actually ask, what do you do? Yeah. It, it, because that's, that's the intention behind the question. So what you, what you talked about, you said, I love snowboarding or I'm passionate about snowboarding. I call that turning a, a, a verb, I'm sorry, turning a noun into a verb. So instead of talking about what you do to earn a living, we all have to, to make a paycheck. I totally understand that. We all have bills. But it may, not, may or may not be the thing we're passionate about. And, and so... I found that I, instead of saying, here's my title, here's my noun, that I, here's my noun answer, I give you a verb answer. I'm really passionate about writing, is what I'll tell people. In fact, that's how I, I, I dislocated m- myself from the need to tie myself to the, the job title and being able to talk about what I was passionate about. And then that allowed you to have that whole conversation about, oh, yeah, I'm passionate about snowboarding. What are you passionate about? And so when we're talking today about passion, Please think about it in, in other terms that you may feel more comfortable with. If you feel great with passion, then great. If, you, if it's better with creativity or what's your craft 
or what do you enjoy? Yeah. Sometimes it's what are your hobbies? That That's fine. You get to frame it however you want. I know when people ask Mariah that question, she's just like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm accounts payable at this, you know, eye, ear, nose, and throat doctor's office. But like every time she get asked asked that every time she gets asked that question, I can just see this look go over her face. Like, okay, let's get this out of the way, so we can talk about something else. Because she doesn't want to talk about work. Who really? Do, who, I mean, very few people want to talk about their work, right? Unless it's your mission, which which we'll talk right. about here in a second. Our first voicemail today is from Connor in Toronto. I just turned seventeen, so as a teenager, I'm pretty unsure of what I want to do as a career. I have several interests and hobbies, but I don't have that one thing I'm good at that defines me, really. Uh, I like photography a lot and computer design, but I don't make the time to pursue these for a passion since I'm in high school and I also work as a lifeguard and a first aid instructor. How can I effectively make time and just focus on one passion? Congratulations for asking this question at age 17, Ryan. I really wish that I was asking these questions at, at age 17. At 17, I was just so focused on getting out of high school. I didn't go on to the, to the college route. I was so focused on getting out of high school, getting a sales job so I could start to earn uh, more money than my parents ever had. Yeah, I wish I would had the yeah, know-how to ask these quality questions instead of, yeah, just how am I going to make a living? Oh, my God, I'm, I'm leaving my parents' house. How am I going to survive on my own? I, I got to make money at any cost. Yeah, you're, you're so far ahead right now, Connor. And so really what you're trying to figure out is how do I make time for a passion? But the other part of that is how do I, how do I find a passion? You say you have a lot of interests, a lot of hobbies, you know, like photography and computer design. You're also a lifeguard, which is definitely something you can be passionate about. You didn't say whether or not you're passionate about it. Maybe it's something you can cultivate into a passion. Um, or or um, you also said you're a first aid instructor, and, and so that may be something that you can cultivate into a passion as well. Or maybe those are just vocations that help you pay the bills, and, and, and that's great too. So how do you make time? Well, it's really about priorities. You can, you can sit down. You can take a look at your day. How do you spend your 24 hours? Because we don't all have the same resources, but we all have one resource in common. It's the same 24 hours in a day. Now, Connor, obviously you have to go to school. You're probably finishing up school right now. And then how are you spending your remaining hours? We have 168 hours every single week where you're going to spend some of those sleeping, you're going to spend some of those at school or work. But then quite often, we're going to spend many of those hours on television. You know, you know the average person, right? I saw this stat recently, 15.7 years of our life, 15.7 years mm-hmm. of our life is spent watching television. Wow. 15 years of television nonstop. That's crazy. It's unbelievable. So, so that's one of the things we do, but you could replace that with, with, uh, with an interest of yours or a hobby that you're attempting to cultivate into a passion. So what I was saying earlier about Cal and, and how follow your passion is bad advice, well, the better advice then is cultivate your passion. Find something that you're interested in, but also something that aligns with your values, your beliefs, your ethics, your morals, something that you could see yourself doing a year from now, two years from now, and see whether or not you can cultivate that into a passion. And it may not always work. The good news is for Connor, he's young, but even if if you're not young, even if you're 40 or 50 or 60, you can start cultivating a passion, and that might change over time. The thing you're passionate about today, you may not be passionate about tomorrow. And so you want to, you, you, you want to keep questioning, is this the thing that I want to continue to focus on to cultivate into a passion? But the key here, Connor, for you is to pick one thing 
and and then attempt to do it well. And, and over over, the, over time, you will get better at it. You say you don't have that one thing that defines you right now. That's a good thing. I don't want one thing that defines me either. Again, I don't want that noun. I want to be able to give verbs to people when they ask me, what do I do? What am I passionate about? Yeah, and, and the good news is, Connors, you have two things that you've already kind of narrowed it down to. Photography and I think he said computer programming? Computer design. Computer design. So right there, I mean, you, you have two things to narrow it down to. Choose one, and you know what? There may not be one that stands out above the other. You may have to uh, drop two names in a hat and pick one out. But yes, uh, definitely choose one. And and just to kind of echo what Josh said, I, I would challenge you, Connor, to find at least an hour a week to start focusing on those things. If not an hour a week, I mean, an hour a day. I mean, uh, Josh, I know back in the corporate world, uh, he wanted to write. And looking at his schedule, um, he had no free time. He was literally, you know, getting up, answering email, taking a shower, going whatever, going throughout his day. Did not 80 have, hours a week. <clears throat> yeah, 80 hours a week. So what did you do, Josh? I Instead of getting up at 5.45 in the morning, I, I would get up at 4.44. I had my alarm set every morning for 4.44 a.m. And that was really easy, too, right? Like, you just jumped out of bed <laughs> oh, every yeah, morning. So like, you just decided to do it. And- <laughs> no, no. It's Especially when I was getting very, very little sleep. And now, it's not like we're advocating getting less sleep necessary, necessarily. But something else is going to have to give, especially if it's just for a short period of time and you can see an outcome uh, that's going to come later. I knew for me that it wouldn't it wouldn't be where I was continuing to work 80 hours a week in perpetuity. I knew that I would be eventually working toward uh, becoming a, a full-time fiction author, and, and, and it happened to be nonfiction with this whole blogging and minimalists thing. Yeah. But, but um, I, I knew that I was working towards something as opposed to just... Uh, uh, depriving myself for a uh, extended or, or, or nebulous period of time. Yeah, the other thing too, Connor, and, and you know, I don't know what high school you go to or you know what kind of programs they offer. He goes to Toronto High School. <laughs> they only have one high school, or they have only one high school. Well, look, look at that. He he replaced his modifier correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Um, yeah, uh, I would say take advantage of the courses you have, man. Um, you know, I don't know if you got photography courses there in high school. We had a few to choose from. Um, I know a lot of high school kids who have computer design courses or computer programming courses or, or whatever. Um, use use the tools you have available to you. If you don't have those tools, then yes, I would challenge you to find at least an hour a week. I know you can find an hour a week. There, there's you definitely can. And then as your uh, as time goes on and your schedule frees up, then besides adding you know an extra hour of this or an extra hour of that, think about how you can add more hours of of cultivating uh, whatever it is you choose to cultivate. And even if it's not in high school, if this is for someone else out there, there are a lot of community classes, community seminars, places where, where, where people go to gather uh, and 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 share their interests, their hobbies. Uh, there may be a, a photography school locally. You can connect with people there. You can connect with people locally who are pa- already passionate about the thing that you are considering cultivating into a passion. And if you're looking for, to connect with some like-minded or open-minded people in, in your area, you can just go to minimalist.org. We have 100 free local meetup groups in 100 different cities in eight countries. Also, there's an online city, too. So you can have other people there to help hold you accountable uh, for, for cultivating your passion and making sure you're, you're doing something toward that every week or ideally every day, if possible. Our next voicemail is from David in Dallas. I keep asking the question, what is our passion? What is my passion? I currently don't know what that is. And how does one find a passion? Is it a matter of time? 
should I dabble in several hobbies until something just clicks? And my issue with that is trying to be a minimalist. I just feel conti- that continuous search for something until it clicks just feels so, you know, non-efficient. And it bothers me because it, it is just time-consuming and mentally exhausting for that just long search of what is my passion. So I guess what I'm saying is, how does one start the search? Or what are the steps to cultivate this passion? Um, I like a lot of things. I just don't know what I like uh, to the point of pursuing it. Um, and I've played, and since that, I've played all my decisions in life very safe. Uh, meaning, personally, I would have loved to studied film. But since I don't know if that's my passion or not, I went ahead and studied business. And uh, I'm tired of playing it safe. First thing you're going to have to do is identify what your values are. Now, everyone has certain basic human needs, a need for shelter and for food and for clothing. But once your basic human needs are met, then you have to figure out what are the what are your higher order values in life? What What is most important to me? And, and Ryan and I wrote about this in our first book. So David, I'd love to send you a copy of, of that book. It's called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. There's an entire chapter on passion and creativity in there. It's the the third, the third value that we mentioned. So we go through what we, we identified. Once we got the clutter out of the way for us, Ryan and I identified five different areas that were our values, these higher order values. We just called them the five values of living a meaningful life. So first off, it was health. Second, relationships. Third was passion. Fourth and fifth, they kind of go together, growth and contribution. And and so we identified those are our values. And so when you're looking to pick a passion, you want to make sure it aligns with uh, as many of those values as possible, and then you can also add your own values. What what are your what are your beliefs? What what are your own morals? What do you find interesting? You said you have a lot of things that you like, David. Well, which of those things aligns most significantly with? Uh, with your values. And also the question is, is this something I'm going to want to make money from long term? Meaning, do I want to turn this into a vocation? If so, how possible is that? What are the templates out there? When I was uh, leaving the corporate world, people didn't believe I was leaving at first, right? And I, I, <laughs> I yeah, would tell people that when I was leaving, because I had this prestigious job title, I was the director of operations for 150 retail stores. But that wasn't my passion. Yeah, I, I was pretty good at it. And, and so I, I, they all assumed I was going to a competitor. And I said, well, no, I'm just going to go right full time. And, you know, I, I probably work at a coffee shop down the street just to pay the bills. And I, I just really wanted to write literary fiction. That was my thing. And, and so I identified that as, as my passion. So when I finally decided to make that leap, step away from the corporate world, I was told by so many people, you can't just go be a writer. If, any, if, if anyone could do that, well, then everyone would do it. You can't just go make a living as a writer. And I just thought to myself, well, wait a minute. There are thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people, who make an income from writing. 
And so that's, that's silly. What was happening is people were projecting their own fears, their own insecurities onto me. He's going to go do the thing he wants to do. I don't feel comfortable enough in making that leap and going and doing the thing that I want to do because of X, Y, and Z. Don't let other people project their fears. I knew that there was a model, a template out there. So if you are wanting to cultivate a passion into something that earns you an income, that's that's great. It doesn't have to. It, doesn't, it certainly doesn't have to, to be that way. But uh, if you want to do that, find a template, find a model, find someone else out there who has cultivated a passion and turned it into an income. And you can certainly find those people. There there are plenty. Whatever you want to do, I'm I'm willing to bet you there is someone who does that thing very well and gets compensated for it. Yeah, you know, one thing that David said that kind of. Um Oh, I don't want to say rings alarm bells, but it just concerns me a little bit when he said, well, you know, I just, I have all these passions and I sit there and I just think about, you know, stuff until, you know, I'm just waiting for something to click. Mm. And that is, that is, uh, I think that's the wrong approach. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, we have this idea that we can sit around and, um, I was listening, well, I got this from, uh, Tim Ferriss. I was listening to uh, one of his podcasts the other day and he was talking about how people, uh, sit around trying to discover themselves. And it's not about discovering yourself as much as it is uh, creating yourself. And many of you have probably heard this, this saying before, discover yourself, don't, don't discover yourself, create yourself. But what that means is that you can't journal your way to a passion. There isn't a, a test that you can take that's going to say, hey, uh, thanks for taking this test. Here's, here's your passion. You want to be a, a veterinarian, and that's what you're going to be passionate about the rest of your life. <laughs> I feel like high school counselors try to do that at some point, right? <laughs> well, they try to give you some guidance. I mean, that's sure. why they are guidance counselors. Uh, and certainly, you know, they want to give you some options. But unfortunately, there isn't a test. And, and the thought behind uh, this discovering yourself is basically kind of looking at yourself like a block of ice. Like, well, you know, if I read this book, then I'm going to like chip a little piece away. And if I uh, talk to this one person, I'm going to chip a little bit more away. And eventually I'm going to reveal myself. And, and, and again, that is not how it works. Instead of looking at it like you're a block of ice or look at it like you're, you're discovering yourself, uh, David, look at yourself like you're a little ball of clay. And that's it. And you have to add little pieces to that ball of clay. And yes, reading a book or journaling or thinking about it will certainly help you to uh, start to head uh, uh, or, or will be those little pieces that you're adding, um, but those cannot be the only pieces that you, you add to yourself. So what I would say, David, is this, man, choose one thing. If you, if you have 20 things, 40 things, whatever it is, write them all down. And right away, you're going to know, you're going to know, you're going to know that, okay, I can cross off lacrosse off this list, or I can cross off uh, milk chugging contests off the list. Like, I mean, there are going to be some automatic things that you can cross off. And then if you've got 10 left over, even if it is still 20 left over, put them all in a hat and just choose one and do that one thing and do lots of it over and over again. And you know what? You might fail. You might find something that you, you pick up on and you're, you're committing to every single day and realize, you know, after six months of really committing, really drudging through the drudgery that, man, I really don't like this. And you might fail, and that's okay. Because I can tell you that the more you fail, the more successes you have also. That is a ratio that holds true. So work towards your passion, David, and become an expert at it. Our next voicemail is from Jesse in Washington, D.C. How do you find what your mission is in life? And how do you translate that into a paycheck? Or does it have to translate? into a paycheck 
because at the end of the day, like you say, we all have to keep our lights on. So Jesse, I, I just want to talk about my story uh, in minimalism because I, I do look at at minimalism and sharing this message as as a mission of mine. And the way that it started was an interest. It started with one interest, uh, just a little bit. I saw this significant difference in Josh. Uh, I saw him acting differently. And I went to him like, hey, what the hell is going on with you? And he told me about this thing called minimalism and then showed me uh, an entire community of people who called themselves minimalists. And that interested me. It drove me to want more, like a lot more. So I was like, great, I'm on, I want to be a minimalist too. I want to do this. I didn't think in my head like, okay, how am I going to make money off of this? Okay, I want to be a minimalist, but how can I make money off of this? It, it, did, it didn't work that way. It was, it was okay, I want to be a minimalist. What, what can I do to uh, pursue this path? So we came up with the idea of the packing party. And if you haven't heard of the packing party, you can go to the minimalists.com slash packing, or you can check out, uh, Ryan and I did a TEDx talk a few years ago. It's uh, the minimalists.com slash TEDx, or you can just find it over on, on the YouTubes. They, they have it over there. A few, few million, few million people have watched it at this point. Yeah. So after that packing party, I was like, wow, here are some amazing lessons that I've learned during this adventure. Here's some amazing lessons I've learned during this experiment. So I went to Josh and I'm like, hey, man, we could probably share this with others because, oh, by the way, uh, one of my other passions, uh, something that I really loved was helping people change their perspective for the better. Like in the corporate world, I loved taking, you know, uh, Johnny jump up sales guy who was getting ready to get fired because salespeople had great names. (laughs) Johnny jump up, Johnny jump up. Susie's something, <laughs> but no, like, you know, taking an employee who was getting ready to get fired, taking them in, uh, to my office and, uh, you know, having a conversation with them and, and really listening to them, seeing where their, where their, uh, issues lied or, you know, what was going on, helping them solve those issues to the point of, you know, the following month or the month after them winning employee of the month. I really, really loved, uh, helping people change their perspective that way for the better. So, of course, I'm like, dude, we can help change people's perspective with this packing party story. So we came up with the minimalists.com. It was a great uh, it was a great thing for us to do at the time because, A, we were passionate about minimalism. And uh, I really wanted to help as many people as I could change their perspectives, people who were in the same position as I was. So then after a year, it was like a year before we, we made any money. On our blog, on our blog at all before we sold anything, and it's just because people kept asking us, "Do you have a book that we can we can buy?" And, and we're like, "No, uh, we we've just been writing." You know, it, it started out as sort of this catalog of, of a journey. So you had your packing party on there, this twenty one day journey, and I wrote some essays, and then we wrote some essays together, and it just sort of blossomed out of that. Mm-hmm. But the intention wasn't to go in and and make money; it was trying to contribute to the world around us in a right. meaningful way. And, and so, yeah, about a, about a year in, we, we finally uh, self-published a, a, a book called uh, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, the, the very first uh, edition of that, which is a lot different from the one that's out there now. But uh, that w- was a result of, of demand, basically. So, so we had added so much value up front. People were saying, yeah, I'd like to find a way to support you, but I also like this in a different form. And so we 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 published. It was an e, just an ebook at the time, right. and because we knew that other people wanted 
that recipe, our recipe, and they wanted it in that form. And so it allowed us to, yes, eventually start start earning some income off of that. Yeah, but but as, it, you, as you mentioned, it wasn't the primary driver. Right. But, it, you know, if I came to you and I said, you know, Josh, why the hell are you so happy? What's going on with you? And you were like, oh, man, there's this thing called minimalism. And you and I should put a business plan together over it. <laughs> like, I don't I, I, I really, really doubt we would have even gotten this far with the message. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, because sometimes a business plan is, is necessary for you know, operating expenses sure. and CapEx and all these things, especially if you're doing a, a normal brick-and-mortar business. But, but the truth is that, that for us, it wasn't about going into business. The business resulted from, from finding something that we were able to cultivate into a passion. I had a passion for writing. You had a passion for contribution and, and sort of marrying those things together. And it's not like you weren't passionate about writing. I wasn't passionate about contribution. There are many things we're passionate about, but these are the things that we, we were most passionate about. And so when you brought Susie salesperson into your office and, and, and helped her become you know the president's club winner that year, you, you, you saw someone turn it around and also make a, a change in her life, a, a pivot in her life that would pivot 15 degrees. And you see, you'd see a year from then or two years from that change, she's in a dramatically different location. And, and it's helping her and her family, her kids are doing better because of, of what you've been able to contribute to her life, the value you've, you've been able to add to her life. The, the only thing, Ryan, that I would add to, to Jesse's question here is let's define what mission is for people too. So we talked earlier what passion is. For me, passion is one half love plus one half obsession, a healthy obsession, obviously, but it needs to be something that you get obsessed with over time. It doesn't mean you like every morsel of it because you won't. Uh, Think about the people you love the most. Do you like every single thing they do? I know I hate when Ryan chews on his fingernails. <laughs> as, as I'm chewing on my fingernails. Sorry, I'm just on the edge of my seat with this podcast. You know, I, I love Ryan dearly, and, and there are certainly things that, and I know he loves me too, but, but there are certainly things that he doesn't like about me. He doesn't like some of my OCD tendencies. One, two, three. <laughs> and, and I, uh, I, but I love every piece of him. And so I think it's the same thing with passion. Can, can you can you love the entire the entirety of writing? Yes, but you can certainly dislike certain aspects of writing. For me, I disliked getting up at four forty four before going to work every day, but it was part of of the deal I made with myself to cultivate that passion. And so that's what a passion is. Now, a mission is just passion plus vocation. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I identify it. So if you're one of those people who's able to cultivate a passion, like Ryan has a passion for snowboarding. When he when when people ask him what do you do and he says I'm passionate about snowboarding they're like oh you make money from that <laughs> you're a professional snowboarder I'm like no I just really like it <laughs> he's like no but that'd be awesome if I could <laughs> but but no yeah I, I really like it so you, you you don't have to be you don't have to make a living or turn it into a part time or full time vocation you don't have to turn it into a business or anything anything that you're passionate about but if you're talking about turning it into your mission so that you can focus more time on it contribute to more people on on a greater scale then quite often what we're just talking about is turning your mission also into your vocation. And so, so keep that in mind. Uh, when, when you're picking what your passion is, ask yourself, can I turn this into a mission long term? And if so, embed yourself, yourself with, with people who, who are uh, do, do, using that passion right now for their mission in life as well. Our next question is from Tara in New York City. I'm an advertising media planner. I know I'm the worst. (laughs) 
I like my job, but it's generally non-creative work, and I'm naturally a creative person. So I simultaneously have all kinds of other passions and side projects, uh, working on a book, a blog, pieces for online and print hubs, and illustration commissions. Uh, I feel like I'm trying to do it all, but it's backfiring. Uh, I don't want to pick just one thing, but all of these things demand a massive amount of my time and focus, which is limited to begin with. My life right now is a stressful slew of half-finished projects. <laughs> Do you have any tips on prioritizing your time to juggle projects and disallow distractions, all the while not minimizing the things that you truly love and live for? You don't have to pick one thing. I think that's the good news here. But you do have to pick one thing at a time. When Ryan and I first started TheMinimalists.com six years ago almost now, um, we started simplifying our lives over six years ago. We started this this website we certainly didn't go into it, as Ryan said earlier, with a business plan for here's all of the, the tentacles this thing is going to grow over the years. No, we, we started writing essays. We, we didn't even know they were called blog posts at the time. Uh, we started writing essays and, and putting them up online. And eventually, over time, we, we wrote a book. And then we wrote a second book called Everything That Remains. And, and, and throughout that journey, we continued to add on to the foundation we build. And so since uh, the inception, we've we, we've written hundreds of essays about minimalism, but we also started this podcast. We've contributed in a bunch of different ways. Uh, we've toured all over the place, and we even just put out a documentary recently. But the, the key for us has been to focus on one thing at a time. And for us, it's one thing a year. We tend to pick one major project a year. And then all of our efforts need to coordinate to, to contribute to that one focus for the year. And so I'll give you a, a few examples real quick. As, as we look toward the horizon, it's always a year ahead for us. So back in, in uh, 2013, Ryan and I uh, started a publishing company with our, our friend Colin Wright called Asymmetrical Press. And that publishing company was to really just publish our own print books and ebooks and audio books and, and Colin's as well. And then we also uh, have helped a few authors along the way, but also have given guidance to a lot of other creative people to show them that it's possible to be an independent publisher on your own of, of high quality work. And so we started Asymmetrical Press to do that, and we spent a year doing that. And part of that was was finishing our second book, Everything That Remains, and getting that out to the world. And then in uh, 2014, Ryan and I decided to donate a year of our lives, uh, 10 months to be exact. We went on a, a crazy 100-city tour, eight countries, 119 events. They were all free. And, and what we did is we hit the road for almost an entire year just to spread the simple living message. And... and that was our focus for an entire year. So, so we went on the road. We did that. We came back. And then last year, 2015, our, our focus was a year of contribution. We said we want, to, we want to find a way to give in a different way and inspire others to give as well. And so uh, along with our amazing audience, we were able to take on a bunch of philanthropic projects that, that really were the highlight of our year. So I'll go through a few of those real quick. We built some clean water wells in Malawi, uh, four of them to be exact, uh, for about 1,200 people in, in several different villages there in Malawi. We funded an orphanage. We, we helped build an orphanage in Honduras with our friends from the Hope Effect. We built an elementary school over in Laos, uh, where Ryan just was over there in the fall for the grand opening of, of that. And that was amazing to see 
us be able to contribute to 66 different kids in, in, in Laos. And then we also funded a high school for a year, and we helped some folks open a coffee shop in, in St. Petersburg, Florida. And, and really, it wasn't just a coffee shop, though. The, the reason that was so appealing is, yeah, we're passionate about coffee. That's great. But it was a community hub. It was a, a beautiful space for creative people to come together and organize and, and have discussions and and make the community uh, a better place. And so we found ways to contribute. We spent a year contributing. And then this year, which is 2016, our main focus has been about the, the documentary that we just put out, which is in theaters and it'll be online pretty soon. And, and we've focused all our efforts, efforts on that, which means we had to get good at saying no to a lot of things. Anytime someone comes to us with a new project or new idea, it's not about just saying no for the sake of saying no. That's a terrible idea. But it's about saying no to the things that don't add value to what your main focus is. Mm-hmm. So, no, Tara, you don't have to pick one, one thing, but you do have to pick one thing at a time focus on that, build on top of it, make sure all your efforts go toward that one thing, and then you can add on in the future. Well, Tara asks, you know, how do I, how do I, uh, prioritize what is specifically how to, how to prioritize her time as she's juggling projects? Let's think about juggling. Mm. I can juggle. I can juggle three balls. He's pretty good at juggling. Yeah. I started with two balls. Actually, I started with one. Seriously. There were pool balls down in, in, in my in my basement growing up. Then I started with two, and then I got to three, and then I felt like, ah, I've accomplished juggling, and I never went any further. But let's say I wanted to go further. Let's say I wanted to get to, like, eight juggling, you know, eight, eight balls juggling. And one chainsaw. <laughs> I'm getting to that. Ugh. Don't steal my thunder, Milburn. Damn. So let's say I wanted to juggle eight balls. Do you think I'd pick up five more balls and just, okay, I can juggle three. Now I'm going to pick up five and learn how to juggle eight. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. I'd probably learn how to juggle four. <laughs> then I learned how to juggle five. Yeah. Then I learned how to juggle six. And then eventually get to that eight. And then let's say I didn't want to throw a chainsaw into that mix. You think I'm going to throw a freaking chainsaw, take out one of those eight balls, and replace it with a chainsaw and try to juggle seven balls plus a chainsaw? No, I'm probably going to go back down to juggling maybe two or three things, or maybe just with the chainsaw at first, and then adding a ball with the chainsaw. So uh, the, the, the question about juggling your projects, I mean, you can look at it like juggling. Yes, you can absolutely do it all, but no, you cannot do it all at once and, until you yeah, practice and add on to it as you go. If you uh, do decide to the chainsaw thing, can you get life insurance first? <laughs> Yes, I will get some term life insurance. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Tara, I'd love to send you a copy of my favorite book of ours. It's a book called Everything That Remains. It's a a memoir of the last five years of our lives, but it talks about how we turned this thing we were interested in and and cultivated it into a passion. It started with writing, and then it really moved beyond that to to contribution and and marrying those two very well. And so it's a five-year narrative uh, basically, we went from these suit and tie guys in, in the corporate world to becoming simple living minimalists and to becoming the minimalists over time. And so I hope you enjoyed that book, Tara. All right, we'd love to hear what you have to say. If you have a, a comment about your passion or your hobbies or creativity or craft, or if you have some minimalism tips on how to cultivate your passion, leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. 
Also, um, Colin Wright was on our, our last episode, uh, Ryan. We, we did a little, uh, I, I'm calling them guest casts. I don't know if that's trademark, but if so, I'm trying. pending. I'm, yeah, I'm pending the patent right now. <laughs> um, uh, Colin Wright, who has the smoothest radio voice. <laughs> he sounds so NPR slash PRI slash yeah, ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, just what, what a great voice. But I, I love when we do these, uh, we've done a few events with him quite a few events in the past, and we, we have these Q&A sessions afterward. So if you have specific questions for Colin as well, and you want to call in with those, in the future we'll do a, uh, another guest, ca- guest cast with Colin where he just answers some of your questions. So if you call in and have a question to say, hey, my question is for Colin. Now we're gonna ha- what's going to happen, Ryan, because his voice is so smooth. He's going to get all, all, he's going to bogart all the questions, I'm sure. But if you do have a question for him, uh, about anything, his podcast, which is called Let's Know Things, has been blowing up on on iTunes and and all the other places these kids get podcasts these days. Uh, you know, if you have a question for him, I'm sure he'd be happy to answer it. We'll put together a, a future episode, a bonus episode with him. All right, you know what time it is, Milburn. What time is it? It's time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists. Lightning round! This is where we answer questions from social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. Our first question is from Jake, who's from Fargo. How do you assess value from your passions? Recommendations for metrics on how you spend your resources on your passions? How how would I answer this if... uh, I'm thinking about my partner, Bex, if she were to come to me and say, can you quantify on a scale of one to a hundred how much you love me? 110. Right. I mean, th- th- that's the obligatory <laughs> answer, right? right? But, but, but you're going to have to sh- also show me the data behind this answer. And, and the truth is, no, it, it, it's just like, it's like love. You, you're going to know whether or not you're passionate about something the same way you know whether or not you love somebody. You have to be honest with yourself and you have to constantly ask that question, am I still passionate about this? And, and too often we confuse passion for excitement and that is a dangerous trap. This used to happen to me all the time when I was an aspiring writer, which means I didn't write very much, but I would aspire every single day. And as there I was aspiration everywhere. Yeah, there was, man. It was it was on the shelves, on the floor, <laughs> just aspiration everywhere I went. And and you know I I I would get I, I would aspire to write, but then I'd get this idea that for a novel or a short story or something that was really exciting to me. And of course, it'd be exciting. It would, that excitement would fuel me. It's like a carbohydrate. It fuels you for a little while, and it's like a sugar rush. But of course, over the the course of two or three days, or maybe a week or two weeks, if it was a really exciting idea, that excitement would wane, and it would get difficult. It hit some sort of roadblock, and I'd say, ah. Oh, Obviously, I'm not passionate about this because I'm not still excited about it. Well, that's silly because, because real passion, real excitement comes after you put in the work, after, after the tedium and, and the drudgery and, and being willing to put in and exert the effort. The payoff is at the end of the work. It's not at the beginning. And too often we think, well, I'm just going to be, I'm going to find something that I'm passionate about and I'm just going to be excited in perpetuity. It doesn't work that way. Even with writing, it, 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 even now, even though I've cultivated that into a passion, it doesn't mean it's exciting for me every day. But you're going to know what, what you're passionate about 
And and then you need to work on cultivating that passion. Yeah, I, I guess, Jake, if I was to give you like something to go off of, I mean, first figure out what your values are. I mean, Josh and I wrote about our values. We talked about them earlier in the show. Uh, we wrote about them in Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. We've got those five values. So figure out what your values are. Maybe they're the same exact five values as ours. That's okay. Put those in a uh, in, in uh, like an Excel sheet sheet type uh, chart, which I hate to like even uh, suggest. Like He's in a spreadsheet, <laughs> just put them in a spreadsheet. Spreadsheet, yeah. I don't want to. <laughs> he doesn't want to use that curse word. The now curse word. Have to mark Excel. it explicit. Oh Sean. my god. He said. I'm getting ready to say power. Yeah, I'm getting ready to spreadsheet. <laughs> getting ready to say PowerPoint here in a second. No, uh, just just in a spreadsheet, just across the top, just put those those values, and then uh, on the left hand side, put down all of your passions. And then go across that chart and mark uh, which value each passion uh, uh, kind of covers. I had a, a student do this, a mentoring student do this just last week. I saw this and I'm like, dude, I'm totally going to steal this. This is actually not a, not a terrible idea because he was trying to figure out the same exact thing. He's like, man, I got about you know eight passions. I don't know what to, uh, to, to choose. And I'd like to, you know, instead of putting them in a hat, maybe do it a little bit more deliberately. Well, what he was able to do with this chart was choose two things that fulfilled four out of those five passions. And it helped him narrow it down to at least those two. And he ended up uh, having to choose um, one over the other at kind of random. But that, that might be something that, that helps you out, Jake. But ultimately, um, yes, I agree with Josh. You, you know, there's not really a metric to go off of, but but certainly um, that that chart or that uh, spreadsheet or whatever you want to call it could, uh, oh my God, this is an explicit, <laughs> this is an explicit podcast. No, I think, I think that'll help you, Jake. Jake right. uh, the other thing that'll help you too, uh, I'd love to send you a copy of our book. It's called Essential. Uh, there's an entire chapter on passion in there. It's a collection of about 150 essays that Ryan and I, Ryan and I have written over the last five years or so. And, and we put it into 12 different chapters, 12 different uh, ways to live a meaningful life, and one of those is passion. So there's an entire chapter in there, and I, I think you'll find uh, some value in that. All right, next question is from Justine. I just graduated college. Congrats, Justine. Need help deciding. Should I live at home for one year and pay off debt, or should I move back to L.A. and do what I'm passionate about? Justine, there is a bit of uh, there's a fault in your logic here. You you are are presupposing that you can you either have to go to L.A. to pursue your passion, or you have to pay off your debt. My answer to you is yes. You should pay off your debt first, no matter what. There's no such thing as good debt. Debt is an anchor. It is in your way. It's going to prevent you from pursuing your passion and living a life of freedom long term. Uh, but also. But also, that doesn't mean you can't start cultivating a passion now. Most passions are not geography-specific. In fact, some uh, geographies will help augment that experience. It will help you cultivate your passion better, and that's great. You can work toward that. But even before you move to L.A., you want to make sure you have an emergency fund saved up. You, ha- you can afford moving to L.A. L.A. is pretty expensive. I'd love to live in L.A. too, but if I did that, I'd have to change the, the way that, that my finances are allocated because it would cost more to live in L.A. than it would in, in Montana. And so the question for you is, can I afford to move to L.A. right now? And the answer is no. You have debt. Of course you can't afford to move to L.A. unless you've got some sort of great you know, high-paying job that aligned with your interests. 
then, then that would be a different discussion. It might make sense to do that because it, that would be geography dependent. But right now, you have an opportunity to pay off those debts, to, to free yourself from those chains and do that. But along the way, you can start cultivating your passion. You can start work, working toward that, that move to Los Angeles. Yeah, what a good point, man. Like, how terrible would it be to you know, move to L.A., carry that debt with you, now you're living in a super expensive place to live. So now you've put pressure on yourself to just afford your bills to pay off that debt, which may totally, you know, increase the hours you work a week. I mean, it could it could be a very detrimental situation to just kind of throw yourself into it and say, Oh, I'll just I'll just pursue my passion and pay off this debt. And you may not pursue your passion at all because you're so busy trying to live and pay off your debt. All right. Next question is from Stefan. If I have one thing I'm passionate about. And one thing I'm good at, which one should I focus on? Well, it really depends. Ideally, you want to be good at your passion. But if you are good at something else that you're not passionate about because it doesn't align with your values, then that's a problem. And, and I can speak from experience here. I was very good at, at my corporate career. I, I was very good at climbing the corporate ladder. So was Ryan. Uh, we, we, we made it a very quick career. And over the course of 12 years, I climbed the ranks so much, but the closer I, I got to the people I really aspired to be like, you know, I had a plan to be a vice president by age 32, a senior VP by age 35. That's weird, Ryan. So I'll be 35 uh, next week. And, and I guess I'd be a senior vice president by now had I stuck it out in the corporate <laughs> world. And my plan was to be a, a, a C-level executive by age 40. Uh, you know, CFO or COO, ideally, uh, probably COO, and 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 then maybe one day CEO if I was if I was lucky. And then you get the you know if you get that C level, you've got the golden parachute. But the more uh, the closer I got to those people as I climbed those rungs on the corporate ladder, I realized they weren't very happy. Most of them, and I think the reason they weren't happy is because they didn't find a lot of purpose or joy or meaning, uh, significance in in the work that they did. And, and so I was really good at being the director of, of retail stores or running a bunch of retail stores. I was the best in our company and, and won a lot of President's Club awards and was certainly compensated accordingly. But it actually got in the way of me pursuing what I was passionate about. And so I had to let that go eventually so I could find my passion, but then really dedicate the hours necessary to cultivate that passion. So Stefan, your question is, if, I, if I'm passionate about one thing and good at another, what should I do? Do the thing that you're passionate about and become good at it in time. Our next question is from Evie. How can you keep your trinkets in check while cultivating your passion? Stationery, sports materials, etc. How much is too much? Well, Evie, if you're asking that question, you probably got too much, but that's all right. Um, I'll tell you what I do uh, with my snowboarding stuff. So I'm very, as everyone knows, I'm passionate about snowboarding. Do we talk about that enough on this podcast? <laughs> actually, I kind of love it because like that actually will uh, be a conversation topic that a lot of people will bring up um, when we're out on the road. So anyway, uh, with snowboarding, with my gear, um, I don't have two snowboards. I have one snowboard. I don't have two winter coats. I have one winter coat. I don't have, you know, three or four pairs of gloves for different conditions. Like I have one pair of gloves and a pair of liner gloves, I guess, if you want to well, count you know many, that. But it's functional and I use them every time I snowboard. Well, how many snowboards do I have? <laughs> yeah, Josh has zero snowboards. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Like it, it, it doesn't add any 
purpose for me. I, there's not a purpose for it. It's not going to bring me joy. It would just get in the way for me. I'd just store it because I'm not, I don't right. I don't enjoy snowboarding. Yeah, but see, what I used to do though, Josh, is I would have like, uh, let's say I went and bought like an eighty dollar pair of goggles, and uh, those are a year or two old, and uh, those you know need to be replaced, or maybe I get a good deal on another pair of goggles or something. I would like you know impulsively buy them, and then that old pair of goggles instead of like donating them or um, you know, giving them, giving them to a friend or something that someone can use. Like I would just hold on to them and I don't even know why I would hold on to them. It was like this, this feeling of, well, I'm going to hold on to it, uh, just in case like these, this pair of goggles breaks and I have those to default to the ones that I really don't like anymore. Anyways, I can always, you know, default to these, but, but that's the type of thinking that I would get trapped in. And, and this is the same thing with passion. Like I can only imagine, uh, how an artist feels like when they see people throw out a bunch of bottles, it's like, Oh my God, look at all those bottles. I could create an amazing you know, project with all of those bottles. And there's that impulse to like hoard all of that. And maybe they're really passionate about, you know, making art. But the, the thing that I do, uh, is I have these rules in place for myself that I will not break. Uh, some of those include the, uh, six month rule. Um, Josh has the 90, 90 rule. Um, you know, I will look at something and say, have I used this in the last six months? Will I use it in the next six months? If the answer is no, then I'm probably not going to hold on to it. And guess what? Some stuff I do hold on to thinking, oh yeah, I'll use that in the next six months. Well, guess what? When it comes back around six months later and I'm asking that question, um, and I haven't used it, well then I I don't even have to look six months into the future. I know that chances are I'm probably not going to use it. So what I would say for you, Evie, is create rules around how much of the these stationary items you can you can keep or um, how long you're going to hold on to these materials maybe it's six months uh maybe it's a six month rule maybe it's the 90 90 rule maybe you've got a five-year rule maybe it's if you haven't used in the last five years and you know are you going to use it in the next five years i mean that covers a whole decade i would not recommend that no you got to start somewhere though but you got to start somewhere yeah and that's just it is is start with these rules and if you're if you start to uh, uh, break the rules, then adjust the rules that are that are going to work for you most comfortably. But find a basis of rules that you can live by, that you can hold like gospel, and follow that. That will certainly help you uh, to to not hold on to so much stuff. And and you could probably do some decluttering after coming up with those rules too right away. And just remember that minimalism is not about deprivation, but also. Sometimes constraints bring life to creativity. I'll give you a bit of an example. When we first started building our, our website, we had no idea how to, to create a website. Um, by the way, we, we put up a step-by-step process for anyone who, because it's literally the number one question we get is, how did you guys start your blog? It's not about minimalism. It's how did you start your blog? Um, and so it just tells me that you know, people like the design, the, simple, the simplicity of, of of, of the template and the way that it looks. So if you're interested in, in starting your own blog, you can go to theminimalists.com slash blog. You can see our, exactly how we did it step-by-step. Step. There's even, even a video there. But um, when you're first designing it, uh, I just needed a placeholder for a logo. So I opened up Apple Pages, and it's like uh, the equivalent of Microsoft Word. Maybe we'll get Sean to bleep that. <laughs> Man, weirdly. <laughs> Um, That's you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, essentially our Apple's word program and, and I opened it up and created this temporary logo in 15 minutes, just as a, as a, as a placeholder. Now I didn't have InDesign or Photoshop or, or any of these, these, uh, apps that are required or, or I'm saying required with vocal quotes here to, to be a graphic designer, right? 
uh, I had a lot of constraints. All I had was this word program. And I made that quick logo, that placeholder logo for 15 minutes. Well, that's still the same logo we use today. And, and the reason that it's resonated with a lot of people is I didn't have all the, the bells and whistles, so to speak. I think our logo wouldn't look as good with a bell or a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's very true. Uh, and so it, it was just an accidental placeholder. Uh, I, I used some fairly stock um, vector art. I just, in fact, I didn't even know it was called vector art at the time. I, I typed in people silhouettes. So if, <laughs> if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you can see our logo. It's right there on on your screen, probably next to our heads. Um, I just typed in you know, people silhouettes, and it came back with a bunch of like free vector art, and then. I copied and pasted that into a a word program, and and that was a, a placeholder. But it has become a bit of, of an iconic logo, and we really still love it. And, and a lot of people have praised us for who did your logo. And I'm like, oh man, I did. I, I've it's the, that's the first and only and last probably logo that I have ever created. And it's because I'm not naturally a designer, but those constraints, giving myself all you have is this Apple Pages document to work from, it allowed me to, to forced me actually to be more creative. So I guess what I would tell Evie is constrain yourself sometimes and see how much that brings your creativity to life. All right, our... Final question. Our final question is from Vanessa. What do you do when a key factor of a major passion starts to feel more like a chore? Real quick, Vanessa, here's what I do. I drudge through the drudgery. That's all you really can do. Because, again, passion is not the same thing as excitement. When I first started writing, I wanted to put my head through a wall 80% of the time. But I was willing to keep doing the work, to keep drudging through the drudgery, because that extra 20% was the best feeling in the world. That was the real payoff. So you have to drudge through the drudgery. Even now, writing for me is a chore 50% of the time. And I don't think it gets much better than that. So whatever your passion is, there are going to be chores involved with that. Things that you don't necessarily like to do. But that's okay, because the real payoff comes once you're willing to put in the work. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. Since we're talking about passion today, I'm going to recommend a book I just finished over the weekend. It was, it was and is called uh, The Wright Brothers. So uh, The Wright Brothers, for those of you who don't know, they invented uh, the airplane uh, back in... Uh, well. So, so they're, they're fellow Daytonians, so they have a special part, and a special uh, uh, place in my heart. Um, although they really remind me, I was, when I'm reading the story, Wilbur and Orville, they remind me of me and Ryan. Uh, Ryan is my Orville to, to my Wilbur. Uh, <laughs> I'll be Orville. Is the Orville to That's my Wilbur. That's a sweet name. <laughs> they both had awesome names. So the Wright brothers, uh, the book is by David McCullough. It's a great biography. And I'll tell you, the, the most inspiring thing to me is one of the quotes in there, Ryan. He, um, uh, so, so Wilbur in 1901 looked over at Orville. And he said, they've been doing experiments on, on trying to fly these gliders and figure out how to, to, to do man, man-made flight. He looked over at Orville and said, I don't think that man is going to figure out how to fly. 
in the next 50 years. This is 1901. Wow. And then on December 17th, uh, 1903, they took their first flight. So we really radically underestimate what we can do over the course of two years. When I look at what Ryan and I have done over the last six years, it has quite often been in these two-year chunks where a lot of things happen. It's almost like one year is a lot of prep work, and then it's actually implementing the work the following year. But it's amazing to see how much you can change over the course of over two years. And so the key then is what? It's to start today. Don't wait until next year. Don't wait until next month. Don't wait until next week. I wish someone would have told me to start a blog 10 years before I did because we would have been, we would have been able to contribute to so many more people mm. over that 10-year span. And it, it's not just incremental change. When you share it with someone and, and they share it with two people and those two people share it with two people each, it becomes exponential over the course of time. And that's, that's really been our greatest social media button has been that forward email button for everyone who's subscribed to our emails because we don't ever send spam to anyone. We just put, send our essays out to the world and, and our podcasts out to the world and people tend to share it. And that, that, because when you find value in something, you, you want to give that to the people you care about because you hope they'll get value from it too. And so I definitely recommend The Wright Brothers. I think that book is a portrait of true passion, true love and a obsession of aviation and craft. And, and I mean, these guys were just geniuses. I definitely recommend wow. that book. So 1901, he was saying that we would never fly. Yeah, for 50 years, I don't think man's going to fly. Wow. And then 68 years later, we were landing on the moon. Right. That is crazy. Yeah, and... and it and just goes to show, I mean, yeah, there's... Yeah, we can accomplish a lot a lot more than we think. Also from a fellow Ohioan, Neil Armstrong. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dude up, Lebanon, Ohio. He lived in our, like, home... Or, like, hometown city. Where yeah, we where, we went, to, where we went to high school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the Wright Brothers uh, book. Check it out if you get a chance. Ryan? I am going to recommend uh, an interview um, with Cal Newport. So if you are listening and you've like heard us talk about Cal Newport and you've heard us recommend uh, Deep Work or So Good They Can't Ignore You and you don't really want to read those books, you can listen to this interview that Cal Newport did on The Art of Charm. Uh, that will be in the show notes. Sean will put that in there. That's a good podcast. Jordan a, is a, a really good interviewer. Yeah, it's a great podcast um, because he talks about the deep work and really what he means uh, by that. But not only that, I think the biggest thing that like stood out to me in that podcast was how, how we have trained ourselves to do ephemeral work. We have trained ourselves to be reactionary. And when, and when he said that, and I looked back at you know, my, my, my days of yesteryear, and even over the last six years, uh, you know, fighting to keep these habits um, uh, consistent and, and, and to work on essays and to work on um, you know, books and this and that, it is so easy to go to the ephemeral stuff. And the more time goes on, well, we have more access to ephemeral things. And we really have to be careful with that because we are training ourselves to do the antithesis of deep work. Um, but there's so many more nuggets in there uh, than just that. But yeah, check it out. Um, uh, Cal Newport's uh, interview on the art of charm. Let's move on to right here, right now. This is where Ryan and I, we get to discuss uh, what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Now that we're back uh, after tour in Missoula, Montana, we got a bunch of stuff going on that I, I want to make you aware of. So first off, uh, coming very soon, we're going to have some tour stops in some fairly random places. You, you'll see why in a second. We're going to be in Orlando. We're going to be in uh, Fargo. And we're going to be in Europe 
Now, uh, I'm going to keep it a little bit vague there, but let's go through those quickly. Now, there was a horrible terrorist attack, a lone wolf terrorist attack in in Orlando. And uh, so... We want to do something for Orlando. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, right? Yeah, thoughts and prayers aren't, aren't, aren't enough. I mean, it can be a good start for some people to, to share that sentiment, but we want to help out the we victims. We want to go above and beyond the thoughts and prayers. Right, yes. and we want to encourage you all to do that as well. So we're going to have a charity event. Our distributor for our film has agreed to do 100% of the proceeds to that. We're going to donate all of our proceeds as, as well. Uh, from from that event in Orlando. We don't have a date set yet, uh, but if you subscribe to our email list over at theminimalists.com, just type in your email there at the top. Uh, we'll never send you spam, but you'll, you'll, you'll be kept posted on all of our events. So we're going to do something in Orlando. Also, our coffee shop is uh, about two and a half hours from there in St. Petersburg, Florida. I think we're going to do a, a special charity event while we're in town there as well. We're speaking in July at uh, TEDx Fargo, Fargo, North Dakota. We're coming back. And and so we're going to screen our, our documentary there. We're also going to do a live version of our podcast in both Orlando and Fargo. Don't have the date for that yet, but stay tuned for that as well. And then this fall, I think it's September, there's yes. going to be a UK and, and maybe a couple of European dates as well. So stay tuned for that. Um, just for a couple more days at this point. So there's something called a simple year that Ryan and I have been involved with in, in the past. So a few years ago, uh, a friend of ours named Courtney Carver, she runs a, a blog called uh, Be More With Less. She's also uh, started something called Project 333. She she started uh, this this. 12 Months of Guided Simplicity program. Now, Ryan and I will be the first to tell you that you don't need a book or a blog or a course to simplify your life. But sometimes we do need some help. And if you feel like you could benefit from 12 Months of Guided Simplicity, Courtney, at the beginning of each year, uh, does this program with 12 different experts. So there's a, a, each month focuses on a different aspect of simplifying your life, whether that's decluttering your house or your wardrobe or your car or travel or your work, um, sometimes your workspace. She has all these different uh, ways to declutter your life. And uh, she starts at the beginning of, of each year with a bunch of different simplicity experts. We've contributed to that in the past. And this year, she decided to open it back up mid-year, give you full access to everything that's going on earlier in the year. Uh, and, and so you get all the video work, coursework, all, all of the, the live interviews and stuff that, that she has done with Simplicity Experts. And then you get the live version for, for the rest of the year as well. Uh, if you want more details to that, just go to theminimalists.com slash SY. We'll put that in the show notes as well. SY just stands for Simple Year. Uh, theminimalists.com slash SY, and you can find 12 months of guided simplicity for you. Also, our documentary, Minimalism, is hitting theaters in Australia in July, and tickets are already selling like crazy. It's very limited, so most of those screenings have either sold out or are really close to selling out. You can find that. Also, we released some new dates in Canada, finally coming to Saskatoon and Regina, but also we've we've added some encore showings in Toronto and Halifax and Vancouver and I think a few other cities 
uh, maybe Calgary and a few other places as well. All the details for that, as well as over 100 other cities going on right now in the United States minimalismfilm.com over there you can pre-order the film which comes out August 2nd if you pre-order it on Vimeo which there's a link there you um, get six hours of bonus interviews and content we we shot about a thousand hours when we we filmed this documentary but we wanted to make sure that we we still gave you the extra cream that didn't make the cup so to speak And, and so there's six hours of, of bonus content that we're going to give you on August 2nd. Uh, lastly, uh, this is the, the last chance. We still have a few seats for how to write better. If you're looking uh, to improve your, your writing skills, I teach a four-week class called How to Write Better, but uh, I, and that goes on all the time, but I teach a one-day workshop, me and my adjunct professor, Professor Sean Mahalik. We call him the other Sean. We have podcast Sean, and we have other Sean. <laughs> here and um you can only work for us if your name is sean <laughs> yeah so you need some sort of adjective before it though yes. uh you so spelled the right way too yeah so so <laughs> so other sean will um will, will be teaching that with me I, he he's sort of there helping along and whenever i i stutter or mumble he, he'll step in but uh i have a lot of fun teaching this workshop a lot of effort goes into it and it doesn't cost very much but there are a few seats left in there, and that is on June 26, 2016. All the details over at howtowritebetter.org. And that's if you want to improve your business emails or your writing the great American novel or you want to write a memoir or you just want to improve your blogging skills. It's really, really up to you. Uh, howtowritebetter.org. You can find all the details there. Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hello, this is Jason Gardner. My comment is a great way to reduce mental clutter is to journal. And a great way to journal is to use what I call the brain dump and just dump what's on your brain onto the page just to get it out there. And I do recommend writing it as opposed to typing it or anything like that, but that's a personal choice. Um, there's a good kinesthetic quality to writing down things. Um, regardless, using the brain dump method is a great way just to get things onto the page and out of the brain and reduce mental clutter. Uh, my name's Tom. I'm from London. This is in response to last week's episode about mental clutter. I personally find it very easy to remove physical clutter and items in my life to create space for more meaning and value. However, while my exterior surroundings have become more quiet and calm, my interior clutter has become more noisy and loud because I'm faced with more provoking questions, such as, who am I without this item? What will I do with all the new time I've saved? And these questions can become overwhelming for some. So I second the advice Ryan and Josh gave about finding someone impartial to talk to, such as a friend you can trust or a professional like a therapist. My name is Jenna Vanderlot. I did want to leave a comment because I just listened to the last episode about mental clutter. And I am a graduate student studying counseling. And I heard um, one of the, the people that you, one of the comments on the show was about um, a woman from Wisconsin, where I'm from, dealing with some mental clutter and some past trauma. And I just wanted to make a recommendation to her and to anybody who else might be dealing with that mental clutter that they treat the relationship with the therapist that they might seek out. Um, 
as any type of relationship that uh, they have in any other part of their life to determine who has um, what relationship has value. Sometimes your first time with a counselor might not be um, the right fit for you, but you should keep looking and treat it like any other relationship and find someone that really adds value to your life because I guarantee you that there's a lot of people out there like me who would really want to uh, have the opportunity to talk about um, any trauma that someone had experienced or even just their journey towards minimalism, anything that comes up for them. And um, like you guys had said, just uh, to talk about how making these big changes really has affected your life as a, as a sounding board. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear